This morning's New Testament readings are from Matthew and Romans. From Matthew, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And from Romans, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If you've been with us for a while, then you know that our normal practice, our regular practice, um, as far as preaching goes, is to preach through a book of the Bible. And so this first year we had been looking at John and we take breaks, um, you know, for Advent and Christmas and Easter. Um, This summer we took a break from John to look at Proverbs and to think about um, what does God's wisdom have to say to us in different areas of our life. And we're going to pick back up with John and finish it this fall. But before we do that, I thought it would be good at the, the beginning really of a school year, but also marking our first year to pause and to think about the mission of this church. And some of you have been with us from the very beginning. You were there when we talked about what this mission would be, um, what we wanted to look like, what we wanted to accomplish. And some of you, you know, are here for the first time today. And so I think for some of us, it'll be reminders um, of who we are and what we want God to do in this church. And for others of us, this might help us to understand a little more of what the church is about. And so um, let me read our our mission statement uh, to you. And I'm not preaching on the mission statement. I'm using these passages and really also thinking about Psalm 145 as we look at this. Um, But our mission is this, is to glorify God in Greenville by proclaiming and embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, welcome, and wonder. And so for these next few weeks, what we're thinking about is we're going to take those three last words, worship, welcome, and wonder, and we're going to think about how those embody and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And so let me, let me before we get started, we're going to think about worship today and why that's central to what we do. Um, before we get started, let me pray for us. Father, again, um, we, we give you thanks, and we thank you that you're kind enough to give us your word, and that you're a God who is not silent, but you have spoken clearly to us in your word, and you reveal to us your character, and Father, we thank you that you've spoken clearly, and most clearly in your son, Jesus, and we thank you that when we look in Jesus, um, we see all of your character um, incarnate. And when we want to know what you're like, we can, we can go back and we can read of the words and the deeds and the actions of Jesus and know your character. And Father, um, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we think about your word and we think about the mission of this church, uh, that you would give us wisdom and clarity, and that most of all, that you would give us unity, uh, that we might love one another well as we seek to serve you in this city. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've talked about it a little bit already this morning, um, but I'll, I'll make my own confession, is that I am 
very prone to be forgetful. And some of you have, some of you have experienced this on a firsthand basis, right? You're like, well, I thought we had an appointment today. Or weren't you supposed to send that email, uh, like respond to me? Um, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm probably guilty in a lot of those areas as well. But what I'm prone to forget is sort of the big things. That I can be going through a normal day and a normal week and have all of my things on my schedule to get done. And I can forget something as basic as that God loves me. I can be working through a normal day and a normal week, and I can forget something so basic as that maybe um, this thought that I am really very small and I'm very insignificant in the scope of history, but at the same time, I am cherished by Jesus. I can forget really big things like, you know, as I read the news or as I I watch what's happening in our culture to kind of think that um, this is the be-all, end-all of history and time and existence. And it can kind of weigh on us. And it feels like that. And I can forget that we're a speck of time in the midst of this long story that God himself is writing, that he is writing history. And I can forget that. I mean, I could go on and on and on and tell you of all the big things until you started to get worried about your pastor, of all the big things that I am prone to forget. And I think that you might sympathize with me. Because when we're prone to forget, it doesn't usually lead us into very good places. Because when we're prone to forget, some of these huge, big concepts of scripture and about who God is, what it often does is it leads us because we're anxious about our lives. It leads us to places we would rather not go. It causes us um, to bow down and worship things that can never actually fulfill us. And we see it all the time in our lives. And so to counteract that in my own life, there are certain places that I go like physical places that I go that trigger my memory. I don't know if you have those places. You may not have even thought about it. Um, But there are certain places in my life when I actually go to those places, there's something about those places that I begin to remember what is true and what is good. I begin to remember again um, that God actually cares for me. I begin to exhale and see the big picture again. There's a, there's a really old, ancient term for these kind of places. Um, I, I think it has Celtic origins, and they've been called thin places. And the idea behind a thin place is that it feels like a place where the gap between heaven and earth is really thin. Because a lot of times in our life, it feels like we are very distant from God and what he's doing. A lot of times it can feel like um, the gap between heaven and earth is immense. And, but there's some places, for some reason, it's sort of inexplicable. There's nothing necessarily magical about those places. It just sort of feels like that gap is, has shrunk. You know, for me, it's one of the reasons that a couple of times a year um, I go and stay at a monastery. And there's nothing necessarily magical about that place in and of itself. Um, but it's quiet. It's peaceful, it's beautiful, 
and there's no clutter in my life, and I begin to remember. My memory starts to come back. Um, it happens in places wherever, you know, if I can be outside, if I can be in God's creation and walk down a trail, if I can um, climb up on top of Black Balsam Knob or walk along a trail in Jones Gap. For some reason, those places, I think for good reason, those places, they trigger my memory. And maybe even right now, you're thinking of places that you sometimes go where the memory of, of all that you know to be true but often forget comes just flooding back to you. What I want to suggest this morning as we think about worship is really the place where we're designed, that God designed us, the rhythm that God designed for us, where we remember most clearly, where those things come back to us most vividly is right where you're sitting, is right here. That there is, I think, in the truest sense, that this is one of the thinnest places. Not this physical building necessarily, but this group of people that gathers regularly and praises God. And it's the place where I think God designed us where our heart and mind is renewed Right at, and I, say, I talk about this all the time because I want to get it into our bones that it's right at the very beginning of the week. It's the, it's the day that Jesus Christ, this is what we proclaim, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he broke the bonds of sin and death. And what scripture says is that you who are united with Jesus, you died with him, you were buried with him, and you rose again with him. He is the first fruits of the new creation, and you are a part of the new creation, that you are a part of a new society that he's building. And we come together at the beginning of the week as we look back on a week that we're disgruntled with, most likely, that we might not be fully satisfied with, that we might look at our week and think, I didn't do the things I wanted to do, and I practiced the very things I shouldn't have practiced. And we come together and we remember. And we stand side by side and we lift up our voices and we, we sing praise to God, and we pronounce that Jesus is actually king, and that he's Lord of lords, and that there is no other God. And we stand side by side, and we confess our sins together, and we might even glance to our left and our right, and we see um, a woman or a man or a child sitting next to us, and we remember that every single one of us is equally in need of his mercy and his grace. And we hear words of assurance because we have to hear them all the time that that wash out over us, that remind us that we are actually forgiven, but not just forgiven, but through the blood of Jesus, that we have been made righteous, that we we now own his righteousness, that we're clothed in his righteousness. And we hear that collectively together. And then, you know, at the end of the service, in every service, we come to this table and I hope that when you come to this table, it's not just, I've got to stand in line and get my, my bread and get my wine or juice. So it's, it's I marvel at the fact that I can sit at the table of the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth. Me, as crazy and messed up as I am, that I can come and feast at his table. This is why... Our mission always starts with worship. 
It always starts with worship, and it always centers around worship because we were made by God and we were made for God, and oddly enough, it is the most simple thing, and yet it's the thing that we forget most easily. It is the thing that most quickly escapes our minds and our imaginations, and that God is God and we are not. And you know, when you think about worship, and you think specifically about worship together on Sunday morning, it, it feels like there's a million other things that we could do. And it feels like there's a million other productive things that we could be doing. And for some of you with young children, it feels like torture sometimes, let's just be honest. To get them ready, to get them out the door, to come to this place and to sing together and to pray together and to praise God together. But worship, as I want to talk about this morning, is something that not only gives praise to God, but it actually proclaims to the world and our community, it proclaims to us the good news of Jesus, and it helps to embody that gospel even as we worship. You know, God is not um, unaware of the fact that we're prone to forget And some of the reasons that we we read some of the passages we did this morning is that God knows that. And it's no mistake that when he gives his his law to his people, you know, he delivers his people out of bondage and slavery, and then he gives them his law. He says, I am your God. You don't keep this law so that I'll love you. I already love you. And what is the first law that he gives to them? You shall have no other God before me. It's so simple, right? And it's so basic, but it starts there because every other commandment that comes after it, if you have another God before him, you've really already broken all the rest. And so he starts there, and Jesus starts there. When Jesus teaches his disciples, they're like, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not a word we use very often, but Jesus says, What do we start our prayer with? We start our prayer with worship. We start our prayer with acknowledging the fact that God is God and he's in heaven and his name is to be praised. And the reason God is aware of that, he's aware of our forgetfulness, and the the reason um, he reminds us of it over and over again is this predisposition that we have to think that God is not who he says he is, to think that he's not actually good, to think that he doesn't actually love us, and then to go and look for some sort of substitute. Because here's the thing, everybody worships. Everybody worships something. Everybody bows down to something. Um, I already said I'm forgetful. So I, I, I've quoted this to you, I think, before, maybe a few times before. But I love... Um, this quote from the author David Foster Wallace when he was giving a, um, a speech, a graduation speech to college students back in 2005. And um, David Foster Wallace was not, to my knowledge, a believer, but he understood something about worship. And he understood something about bowing down to something that actually begins to enslave you instead of free you. And he said it this way. He said, pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. If you worship your own body, 
and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, seen as being smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. We could go on, right? Does that sound vaguely familiar to any of us this morning? Because the thing is, we all worship. And even those of us who might be here this morning and say, I don't, I'm not religious in any way, there's things that we bow down to. Everyone doubt, and in this week, as we look back, and maybe even as you were confessing silently this morning, that you thought back into things that my forgetfulness has led me down a road to where I am trusting in, I am worshiping things that are actually false gods. Things that can ever, they cannot fulfill the promises they're making. We've done it this week. I've done it this week. We've worshipped things that we thought would give us some peace or some relief. And how do, we know, how do we know what those things are? So if I'm making this bold assertion that all of us have done that, then how do we examine ourselves and how do we diagnose what it is that we're actually bowing down to and what it is we actually worship? And I think Christians throughout history have always asked a few questions of themselves to help them understand and help, to, help us to remember and I think the first, the first question that we can ask ourselves, you can ask yourself this morning, is what do you love? It's such a simple question. But the answer can get really complicated, right? What is it that you actually love? Maybe another way to, to state it is what is it that you actually desire What do you honor above everything else in your life? When you've got time where your mind gets to kind of roam, where does your mind roam to? Where does it go? Or maybe you can open up, you know, your online checking account and you can follow the trail and you can say, what do I actually love? Like, where is, what do I spend my money on? What do I spend most of my energy on? What do I spend most of my time on? And if we follow those trails, what we'll start to find is that I have an amazing capacity to say that God is the only true God, that I could recite the Apostles' Creed, that I could mentally and cognitively um, basically conform all of my thoughts to what we would call Orthodox Christianity, and yet I can find myself worshiping and loving something else. That my affections and my desires, my loves, are usually fractured. And if we start to admit that, and we actually start to deal with that, we start to see that our fractured affections help us to see why our lives often feel really fractured as well. That we have elevated something in our lives to a position that it can't bear the weight of, and something that has captured our hearts has actually begun to enslave us. I mean, the, you know, something as cliche as money. That there's nothing in life that to us mimics the security and power that only God can give us like money does. And so if I've got enough money in the bank, 
I can be rolling pretty high, I can be feeling pretty good, and I can forget that in a blink of an eye, it can all be taken away. And the thing about money, like Foster Wallace, David Foster Wallace said, is you can never have enough. The more you have, the more you want, the more you buy, the more insecure you feel because you need a little bit more to feel a little bit more secure. This is, this is why money is always a great example of a false god because it mimics what God does, but then it enslaves us. Maybe we love safety. And we've built these little hedges around us to kind of ensure that our lives are safe and that we're not endangered. And maybe that's the first thing that we even pray for when we pray to God, um, keep me and my family safe. Or maybe it's like the thing we love most is like our children and their happiness. And we find that that's actually the thing that I've begun to worship. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about wisdom in the family, um, that it's easy to make an idol out of our spouse or our kids, so that their happiness is actually the thing that we begin to bow down to. But another question that Christians have always asked is not just what you love, but what is it that you trust? What is it that you actually trust? And another way to decipher that is to say, yeah, what, what is it that I'm leaning upon? What do I put my weight on? When I think about tomorrow, if I think about next week, if I think about a year from now and what I want out of life, what is it that I most lean upon in order to get me to that place? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we're not saying, I'm trusting that God will do with me as he pleases, and what he does will be good. I mean, Bible, the wisdom of the Bible tells us, as we talked about, to make plans, but to also know that God's sovereign over all things. What is it that you actually trust? We usually trust things that are most tangible to us, things that um, we can get our hands around. Um, Let's be honest, there's many of us in this room that are control freaks, right? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. We want to control our own lives. And so the things we trust in the most are the things that we can tangibly get our hands around and control But none of those things can substitute for God. You see, as we kind of unravel this, what we start to find is that we're capable of believing in one thing and actually trusting in, loving, and worshiping another thing. And it's the thing that we love and trust most that we actually truly worship. I mean, it's the reason, as we look back over the last couple weeks and the news has been inundated um, with rallies and protests and as we think about white supremacy and you kind of go and many many in that camp might be church going people and we look back in the history of the white church and we realize that many in the white church um, have made claims about who God is that are perfectly orthodox and yet their life has been really consumed with the hatred of another race of people that we're capable of proclaiming one thing, but what are we actually trusting in and worshiping? This is why we begin each week with praise. It's, it's the first thing that we do. We proclaim that Jesus is king. We remind ourselves 
of where we fall, we bow down together and we acknowledge that we are all in need of his grace. That is central to our mission. And I want to finish this morning by just thinking about, well, how does that then, how does that proclaim the gospel of Jesus and embody the gospel of Jesus? You know what, I, what, what the word, what I mean when I say embody is that we can proclaim, it's what I was just describing, we can com- proclaim something to be true, but what we also want is that we want the people of this church to embody the gospel, that your lives are a living example of the good news of Jesus. So how does our worship actually help us to do that? How does it proclaim this good news? Let's, let's think about it this way this morning. Many of you walked into this room with feeling all sorts of different ways, right? Um, some of you just walk into a room full of people and automatically you like clam up because you're very introverted and that freaks you out. And then we do that long greeting time, and you get really awkward. Um, Some of you are maybe walking into the room feeling really depressed. Um, Others of you are maybe discouraged as you come into worship. Some of you come, and you might feel really spiritually dry is the only way maybe you know to describe it. And you feel like God is very distant. Others of you might be kind of thinking, just sort of reeling from a first week in a new school, and you're thinking about, um, am I going to make friends there, and what's it going to be like? And that has been something that's, that's weighing on you. Others of us come into worship, and we're, you know, if we're honest, we're still maybe thinking about that new thing that we bought yesterday, and um, what we realize is that it's brought us probably an improportionate amount of joy and happiness. Or we're thinking back through the schedule of a home renovation. Or we're thinking about, are we going to make it through worship because our kid won't quit squirming beside us and that's the only thing that we could think about the whole time. And it's in, I want you to think about, the reason I go on and on with these examples because it is, when we come here, it is into the midst of the, the mental chaos and the literal chaos of each of our lives that you hear again these words of Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his past. For who knows the mind of our God and who has been his counselor? And who has given to God that God should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And I hope that when you hear that in the midst of all the frustration and all the chaos in your life, that the walls kind of start to crumble down again. And your memory starts to get triggered and you start to think that this one that we're actually coming here to to sing praise to, that we're actually acknowledging the fact that he is a sovereign creator who spoke the world into being. That's what we're doing this morning. That one is also the one that Jesus says is my father. That I can call him father. That he is in heaven and yet he he rules over everything and yet he invites me with all of my junk to come into his presence. And to say to him, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That he's the author of creation, but he's also the author of salvation. That he is, through Jesus, weaving a story of redemption throughout history that culminates with heaven joining earth and Jesus on his throne proclaiming that all things are being made new through him. And listen, this morning, your story is a part of that story. Not your cleaned up part of your life with when you're really proud of your day and all your ducks in a row and you got the house really clean and you did everything on your checklist, your story in all of its mess and all of its chaos and all of its ups and downs and all of its disagreements and arguments and fights and messiness is a part of the story that God is weaving throughout all of history, culminating with him on his throne pronouncing that all things are being made new. I thought about that this week as we, in some of our neighborhood groups, we share our stories so that we can get to know one another better. And somebody usually takes a turn and just kind of tells what their life has been like and what it's been about. And this week, somebody shared in our group and they started their story that way. They said, I was born into chaos. I was born. And as he started to describe what he was born into, that was a pretty accurate term. And I couldn't help but thinking as he went on and he went on to to talk about the rest of his life, um, this person sitting in front of me that I love, who was born into chaos, is now sitting here with us. That God is working in ways that we cannot imagine. But worship just doesn't tell us, it just doesn't honor God and proclaim truth to you. It says something to our community and it says something to our city. That we stop every week And we bow down. And some of you in here, I mean, these are your people that I love. um, Because you're like, I want to do something. Let's get something done. There's problems out there. I love, you're my people. I love you people. But I want to say to you people, don't ever think for a moment that worship is not doing something. And don't ever think for a moment that us gathering here to sing the the pra- like praises to God to remember his goodness, to recount his love for us, is not doing something. A worshiping community in the midst of a, of a larger community, in the midst of a city, is a powerful community. It's not powerful because of its size. It's not powerful because of its wealth. It's not powerful because of its savvy or, or, or its public influence. It's powerful not because of the worldly status of the ones who gather, It's powerful because of the majesty of the one that it proclaims. And we are seated with Jesus right now in the heavenly places, is what Paul tells us. No matter what is happening in our culture, no matter what is happening in our city, no matter what is happening in our personal lives, no matter what happens in the world around us, we stop. We let go of control, we put it down, and we come together and we say, Jesus is king. And not only is he king, but he's shown me mercy. And we bow down and worship. Some of you have been doing it maybe for so long, you forget how crazy it is that we do this. How unbelievable it is that we come and gather together 
and praise the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth. That we acknowledge that Jesus is king and Lord. That he has all dominion and authority. And he is the one who loved us when we were still sinners. So it proclaims, but it also embodies. When we, when we regularly gather to acknowledge and proclaim this, what happens and what should happen is that it begins to change us. Right? That this, the, the act of coming and worshiping, change, it actually changes us. It changes maybe our minds. Maybe it changes some of the things that we thought to be true aren't lo, are no longer true. Um, maybe it changes um, a lot of things about what we think about God. But what it also begins to change is it begins to change our hearts. It transforms our desires so that we don't just proclaim one thing to be true and then go out and live really sad impotent lives. But we actually begin to embody the good news of Jesus. How does that happen and what does it look like? It starts with this. And this is why sometimes I think we maybe subconsciously don't like the idea of worship. Because it starts with submission and humility and weakness. And those are all like, if you're selling something, you know, those aren't things you're going to lead with, right? Um, this is what worship is. It's at the very beginning. To worship something means we submit. And to submit to something means that we have to humble ourselves. And to humble ourselves means that we have to admit that we are actually weak and we're not actually in control. And if we can get to that point, the beauty is that we've started to embody the gospel of Jesus. Because when we're weak is when we finally start to admit and see that he is strong. And it's not until we embrace our weakness that we start to glory and rest in his power. But what that leads to is confidence. That not just confidence in myself, but that leads to actually a a boldness. Why? Because if I'm submitting myself to him week in and week out, if I'm humbling myself before him, if I'm understanding my weakness and yet his strength, then I actually begin to have confidence. Why? Because I can go into the world and say, I don't have to be enough anymore. I don't have to be strong anymore. We don't have to pretend or or fake that we're something that we're not anymore. It's lunacy to come in church. You've been sometimes in churches where you feel like everyone's sort of like got a fake smile on and faking it. That's crazy. If there's any place where you can come and you don't have to fake it and you don't have to pretend, this should be the place. That you should be able to feel that freedom because we have this confidence that this confidence that's the purest freedom that only comes from Christ. And what that does is that it centers our lives. That we embody the gospel as we worship because it centers our lives. And so worship becomes this anchor that holds us in place. But it's also not just an anchor. It's an engine that pushes us into the week so that you go back out into your neighborhoods, into your marriages, into your families, into your jobs. And you go out into the world knowing that you're not the center of the universe, which is such relieving news. But you're united with the one who is. And he's on his throne. And it allows you to exhale and to say, what would you want me to do today? How can I serve you? 
And what all of that does is it points us towards love. It points us towards love. That our worship embodies the good news of Jesus because in the end it points us towards love. And when we leave this place, I hope that what is pounding in our minds is that I cannot believe how good the good news is. That he actually loves me. That I was once his enemy and yet he came down to find me and to rescue me and to bring me into his family so that when you leave here, you, <laughs> that you go with the, with the goal of love. Who might I love? Who are even the enemies that I might love? Who is the neighbor that I might love? Jesus talks about loving enemies and loving neighbors. Usually that's because they're the same thing, right? That's what I want us to leave thinking about. Worship... We, don't, we, we worship, we don't talk about it very much. And that's why I wanted to stop and talk about it this morning. Because it's not a peripheral thing we do. It's actually central to everything about our mission. Let me pray. Father, um, we thank you that you give us space. And you actually give us time. And you give us a day where we can pause from our work. And we can remember the work of Jesus on our behalf. And Father, I pray that our worship would never just become this sort of rote thing that we do or that it would certainly not become something that we think earns your favor or earns your love. Um, But Father, I pray that we would come here every week um, desiring to give you praise for the ways that you've already loved us and you've already shown us mercy. Father, I pray that it would continue to shape us and conform us and mold us into the image of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.